Welcome to Popscorn, the Final Entertainment Movie Review Podcast, and today we're going to be talking about Cruella, the live-action 101 Dalmatians prequel movie that nobody knew that we wanted. Or did we not want it? I'm always Mike. And I'm always Darren. Now, you might have noticed we've not done our traditional opening gag for Cruella. Don't worry, that tradition is not going to die. It is just that there is absolutely nothing we can think about for an opening gag. No feasible thing that is a a marker of this movie's, you know, excellence or terribleness that would even make for a funny opening. It's a comedy movie, apparently. I mean, the best we got was, is it shit or is it good? Um, (laughs) As far as discussion of dogs' private parts and gave the fuck up. Yes, we did. Um, So... I mean, it's nice that we don't do it for any other podcast, so we are allowed. It is our podcast, we can do what we want, but uh, yeah, that might not be a great start. But, dear listeners, um, we had three movies to review, and we had the choice of which one we could do first. Now, we don't know. We watched this in like uh, quite a few weeks apart. I watched it basically opening day, um, and you've watched it, I take it, quite recently. We watched this two nights ago okay lovely so we don't know each other's opinions but given the choice between this in the heights and luca you said well we can do reviews for all three especially cruella because i have thoughts all caps (laughs) so i'm gonna yeah (laughs) i'm gonna make a bold prediction and feel free to guess what my sentiment is towards this movie I'm going to guess you really didn't like this movie. Let's see what you think, because okay. I, I need to need to know what level I need to be on right now. Okie doke. Do, do you want to hazard a guess? I'm going to guess that you not really didn't like it, but just didn't like it. Uh, I kind of liked it. <laughs> Oh, for fuck's sake. Okay, this is going to be a good episode. This is good. We have actually things to discuss. I'm looking forward to this. I thought this would be the case. Oh, this is wonderful. Um, To give you a, a sneak preview, um, including Luca and In the Heights and all the other movies I've seen so far this year, uh, this sits at number three. So... Oh, God. <laughs> I, I will, thought I will this say would be this, the case. This is not the worst movie I've seen this year. It isn't. It isn't possible to be the worst movie I've seen this year because Nomadland exists. Yeah, but it's still not at the top of the worst list. It's not at number two, three, four. I only do the worst list down to five, which is where I've put Cruella, because I think mm-hmm. there are some good ideas. It's mm-hmm. just that those good ideas are covered in shit, and. <laughs> And, and I need, I need, I need to get my thoughts out because on the eve of us buying a house, I had a full-on argument with my wife about this movie, and I need an outlet to show that I'm fucking right. Okay, well, thankfully, you uh, about ten years ago, you created a podcast that allowed us to vent such things, so we got that going for us. So, well, okay, uh, to put it in context of my opinions. I, this was the first film I saw in cinemas since Tenet last year. So, the and, only uh, way is up, <laughs> baby. 
coming off the back of that and New Mutants being the last two movies I watched at the cinema, um, you know, that it, it was it was fertile ground for just any movie maybe getting a bit more of a favourable, you know, looking by me. But I remember coming out of the cinema and it was just nice to be out and about and all that stuff. I mean, I was in West Brom, so I wasn't that happy. But I, I came out and I was just like, that was good. I think it was better than any than I thought it was going to be. Don't get me wrong, it's janky, and there's some bits that don't kind of work, but I think in, like, the long legacy of live-action Disney, like, adaptations, well, not even adaptation, because this is a prequel, I think it does pretty well. I think this is actually a model they could follow in the future, in that it is a new story featuring... um well-known characters it's not like you know the lion king and the jungle book which are just basically shot for shot remakes it's got that going for it but i'm guessing that wasn't your jam i mean you raise a good point about the the the, the remake culture that disney's going through because they've relegated all of their new and interesting ideas strictly to the animation now for good reason because i don't think disney's original um live action movies are really very good you only have to see the kind of freaks that enjoyed the film Enchanted to know what I'm talking about. But it did look like for a while the Jungle Book model was going to be the way to do it because the Jungle Book mm-hmm. was fucking excellent. And then The Lion King happened, so that's out. Uh, the, then you have this offshoot, which Cruella fits into nicely, which is the, um, the, the style of movie that it just goes, remember the villain? Let's find out why she's a villain. And you do a prequel based with the villain as your protagonist. It's much the same way, like how Sony can't play with all of the Spider-Man toys. Mm-hmm. It chooses just to play with Venom. You know, it's that kind of model. Yeah. Inside that, we've had Maleficent and Maleficent 2. Movies that are not good. <laughs> Flat out, not good. Like, they, they only get like nominated for costume and i can see this very much becoming a trend that these are terrible movies that are otherwise well costumed i'll give it that but like you can go back i'm sure there's a podcast like way back when when the rumors of um x-men origins magneto was going around and i argued that doing a villain protagonist is just fundamentally flawed like it can't work in the grand scheme of things because especially as a prequel you have to you have to make them the protagonist which will kind of strip them of some of the um reasons why you like them and you know why they work as villains you have to soften their edges but then know full well that eventually they will turn full heel for want of a better phrase so uh, that kind of applies here i think it helps that i have literally zero attachment to 101 dalmatians I've never seen it. I never intend to see it. It's a film about dogs. I don't care about dogs. So I'm I'm good. That might be helping here. But taking that for what it is, I think as kind of establishing this version of Cruella, I think it does pretty well. It kind of gives her that a kind of wacky reason for why she turns out like she does. But I, I think it works. And I think that's largely down to Emma Stone just having a lot of fun with this you can tell she's having a lot of fun but somebody having a lot of fun doesn't necessarily make a movie good mm-hmm. my problems with this film are threefold one 
it's not a particularly good 101 Dalmatians movie, which, yes, you can argue that it's a, a prequel, a reboot, or Christ knows what. It is still trading on the your cultural knowledge of who Cruella de Vil and the 101 Dalmatians, what that story is. Number two, it's not a particularly good villain origin story. I think you did pull onto something quite right there, Darren. It would have been pointless to explore the Magneto origin story because you don't need to be told Nazis bad. But then on the other side of the coin, you've got Joker, which was very much an Elseworlds one-off just telling the story of what happens when somebody is pushed too far enough to become a dark reflection of society. And that version of the Joker works as a protagonist because up until he does something awful, you're on his side. And then morally you question yourself for being on his side in the main, like in, in the beginning of the story. That's, that's like the, the moral quandary that these villain origin stories, I think should capitalize on more. My third complaint is, is what the fuck is going on in this movie? <laughs> the plot is fucking atrocious. Uh, and, and that third point kind of feeds into both the other points, so that's very much just me complaining, but I like the food of threes. Okay, shall we talk about Emma Stone as Cruella? Because I'm shockingly not 100% hating this. I don't think it's great, but I'm not hating it. And we'll see, I, I think I'm a bit soft on that. So they establish early on, um, Cruella is, she she basically has split personality, or at least she has like a, a part of herself that she, her mother makes her like kind of regress, which is nicknamed Cruella. So her actual name is Estella. And whenever this kind of mischievous side of her flares up, her mom says that's Cruella trying to get out. You need to suppress that and be Estella. Estella is quite a meek kind of person. Um, because we see her when she's a, a kid. Uh, and then we jump forward to... Um, time period is a little hazy, I think. The 70s, maybe? I think so. I think that's what it was going for. Late 60s, early 70s. I'm, I'm basing that largely off the same track. Which I will not hear any argument about. Is probably the best part of the film. Yeah, absolutely. It's... It's very manipulative, though, isn't it? Because it's yes. music you already know you like. And the film's going, hey, this is music you like. Maybe you'll now remember this movie in relation to it. It's like, nope, I already liked this music before this trash fire arrived. Thank you. I I take your point, but I will point you towards Suicide Squad, which attempted a similar tactic and got very, very wrong and didn't help anything. <laughs> you make a good point. <clears throat> so, um, so in her attempts to kind of repress this side of her... She falls in with thieves, which are the two from, I gather, from 101 Dalmatians, the two psychics, which are played by uh, Joel Fry and Paul Walter Hauser. We'll get to him in a minute. Um, and she's like a she's like a thief, but she still has these ideas of wanting to be a fashion designer. Um, and that's your basic crux of the story. She gets she gets an apprenticeship at a at a um, fashion designer's place, and we slowly start to see her lean into the Cruella side of things when things aren't going her way. So Emma Stone then gets to play two very different sides of this. When she's like Estella, she's a bit of like a bumbling thief. They, they kind of do a um, she's all that to her, where they very much you know, dress her down, big 
dorky glasses, all this stuff. She's always like, you know, in hand down clothes and stuff. So that when she does make that turn into Cruella, it's a very, very stark contrast. But I think, for the most part, she does a pretty good job of separating the two and having them to two very distinct sides of one character. No. <laughs> <laughs> just, just fucking no. Because I don't, I don't think the movie commits to having two sides of the character because the movie doesn't commit to having it based on a villain whilst i agree there are there are fun things about this performance that you know are actually kind of acceptable but but there there's very much this like five percent cruella and 95 percent estella there there is a point in this movie and we'll get to it after the spoilers where we could have had a full-on flip into the Cruella persona, especially because like the scene preceding it was very much meant to be this kind of, and now the Cruella persona has taken over and they back the fuck out of it at every feasible turn in the story. They are so convinced that they need to have you on side of Cruella, this entire movie that another character that we'll talk about in a moment is actually Cruella with a different fucking name. This is what annoys me about these kind of movies, especially from Disney, who I don't think should be making them. Because these movies are based on old novels that, unfortunately, Disney then bought the fucking rights to, means we can't have this situation. But imagine a public domain situation, a Robin Hood, for example, where you've done a story about, you know, the Duke of Nottingham, and and, and then the fucker's just like, he he's like taxing his you know the whole story of him like he hoards all the money taxes his citizens imagine if the story was then oh he's only doing it so he could build a lovely fountain like fuck off like it's a villain let us hate the villain let us not side with the fucking villain but credit to emma stone she the version of this character that disney wanted to show you she doesn't do a bad job of it her accent is a bit shonky don't get me wrong but at least you kind of understand where this character has come from in a sense. This idea of, of not belonging is very consistent throughout the performance and it helps that she kind of sticks out a little bit like a sore thumb, both visually and in terms of the shonky accent. It does all kind of meld together. But I wouldn't call it good. <laughs> I wouldn't call it in any way fucking believable. Funny in occasions, yes, but not in any way, shape or form, a convincing villainous character. It's more like, it's more, you know what she reminds me of? She reminds me of either A, a bad comedian on Mock the Week, or B, like a fucking YouTube pranker. Like, it's just this kind of, it's not villainous, it's just mischievous. It's that whole mm. thing that, actually, funnily enough, the Loki TV series is actually exploring way better which <laughs> in his first episode was like well i'm the god of mischief so i really you look like the god of murder like yeah that's a villain mischief is what you call what cruella's doing i'm sorry darren carry on i mean how do you carry on after that michael um okay so that's only the tip of the fucking <laughs> iceberg <laughs> hear me out hear me out hear me out okay if you have to accept, if we were given this mandate right of like we want to do a cruella origins prequel right even if we fundamentally disagree that that can, you know, work to the absolute highest extent of being an excellent, brilliant movie. If that is what you're given and you have to make Cruella the protagonist, 
I don't think this is a bad way to go about it. I think if she was just Cruella from the start, it's hard to get on board with that. The way the, the Estella Cruella kind of divide helps in that it does give you the opportunity and the room for manoeuvre to get on board with the Estella character while still enjoying the exploits of Cruella. I think it actually helps. I know they don't go full-blown Cruella, but that's good, because she's a dog murderer, which is the problem this film still can't get round, is that eventually this woman will attempt to skin all those Dalmatians. Um, and the way they, they, they do actually have a subplot that kind of explains why she might be okay with that specifically for Dalmatians. We'll get on that in a minute. <laughs> oh, um, fucking well. <laughs> but... I think it. I think it works. I don't think it's like. Don't get me wrong. This isn't like you know, brilliant cinema or whatever. But I think for the objectives they set out to do, I think it works because you do get on with her in those kind of quieter moments later on in the film, when the facade of Corella kind of comes down. She's back to being a stellar. She's back to being a somewhat normal person that you can kind of get on board with. Like this is just a person who's been pushed to their limits. And this is the other thing. It is a kids' movie. It's ain't Breaking Bad, where you can actually have a villain protagonist, right? They've got to smooth it out somehow. And I think I'd rather see this approach, where you have a smoothed down, basically standing character for the protagonist role, so that you don't take any of the sheen off of the Cruella side of things. You kind of keep that, albeit maybe not as over the top as she is in the, in the, you know, the latest movies in the Glenn Close live-action movie. I think it kind of works. It's meant to be an origin story. She's not full-blown mad Cruella yet. She's just kind of finding her feet. And some of the times where, when they first reveal her to the world and she has those first few scenes of her basically being like the Banksy of the fashion world and trying to upstage uh, Emma Thompson's character, who is the Baroness, who is the um, the fashion designer that uh, Estella is working underneath and has other plot things we'll talk about later that kind of worked for me not gonna lie like yeah i can i can can see your point like i don't i'm not completely mystified about where you're coming from it just it worked for me i agree those scenes are the best bits of the movie those especially there's there's this great uh sequence where where it's like they pull up like a like a rubbish truck and they they dump out all this fabric and out pops Cruella and the whole thing is like one like very well designed dress. I thought that was really good. I really enjoyed that. And again, it that kind of works for this very Disneyfied version of this character, whatever version of this character this is. I I can't argue against that. But it's in her fucking name that she's cruel. The the very defining factor of this character is that she's not supposed to be likable. And I think we we could have really played on that. And we could have kept it kid-friendly. For one, the th- three other films in this franchise are all U-rated. They're all kids' films. And even then, you got that A, this character is a bitch. B, she doesn't mind skinning a dog if she needs to. And C, she's psychotic. I understand it's an origin story, and I know that this is very much now what I have to accept of a new timeline in the fucking 101 Dalmatians multiverse, which just feels dirty coming out of my mouth. But it still trades on the iconography of those series. It still trades on your knowledge of Cruella. The entire reason this movie was made was to say, 
that character you already know, that character that's already established, here's how it begun. It doesn't it doesn't get the same free pass that something like Joker would because Joker can go, well, it's a comic book, it's Elseworlds, and yes, why can't this franchise then do that? And I, th- I think it's I think it's because there's only ever really been one version. There's the cartoon, and then there's that cartoon being brought to life in a slightly more modern take by Glenn Close. So when people see it's a live action movie, they what they will then inevitably think, well, this is the movie that comes directly before the Glenn Close version of this character we get to see what basically would be <laughs> this is a reference that's only going to work for me and Darren the episode 3 of the situation where everything's <laughs> fucked uh, and then the actual film that you remember happens problem is it's <sighs> not that character it, it flat out isn't the Glenn Close version of this character because the timelines don't really match up and all the characters are different now it's all set in a different time so yeah it's its, its own thing so it, it's 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 confused about what it wants to be from the off, what it wanted to do. And I, I think this is, this isn't just me getting very defensive and precious over the movie, but it looked at Joker. It looked at the money it made and went, we could have a pop at that. And that's not a good enough reason to make a movie for Disney. I get it. Especially because like you said, this is an origin movie. She's not at the point where she becomes full blown Cruella because spoiler alert minor she's still not at that point when the movie closes over two hours later (laughs) i just i just do not understand i felt like i was watching a two and a half well two hours ten minutes trailer for a movie that's coming out in three years i just fuck please take over take over would you like some good news yes you were actually watching a trailer for a film that's going to come out in three years because the sequel's been greenlit. Fucking mm, knew mm, it. Mm, like, mm, 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 of course mm. they weren't going to actually tell a fucking story when they could t- make two <laughs> don't films. Be, don't be sad, Michael. It's <laughs> Disney. Right, okay. Let's move on. Because I, I tell you, I'm getting those New Mutant vibes where you're making a lot of very good, um, deep and well-thought-out points and then I'm just having to get into it. I liked it. Um, which is basically every X-Men review I think we've ever done. Uh, so I know, let's... I know, I know. I like Days from, Days from Future Past and and Logan. Like, fair <laughs> enough. Our franchise is not allowed to get a free pass. <laughs> it's just that and Dark... It's like New Mutants and Dark Phoenix that I like much more than I should. Um, I still thank you for talking me down from the ledge for Apocalypse, though. Thanks for that. Um, See, sometimes I'm right. Yeah, I, I don't deny that, but... Let's talk about Emma Thompson. Now, I love Emma Thompson. I will say to the day I die that she should have been Professor McGonagall because she's got the right energy. Mm. But here she's playing uh, the Baroness, who is um, essentially a Cruella stand-in for a villain. Like, she's not as over-the-top or cartoony as Cruella eventually becomes in the in the, in the cartoons, in the Glenn Close version. Um, she's a bit more reserved than that, but she functionally saves and um, serves the same purpose she's a kind of very upper self very confident very posh and rich and wealthy fashion designer uh in london and i i think she does a good job i mean i just like seeing emma thompson in basically anything i don't think she's doing anything particularly smart or clever or different here but again i kind of liked it she has a few fun moments and a few funny gags here and there but 
Uh, yeah, she's she's very much just the sounding board for whatever the plot needs her to be. I'm sorry if you can hear a fucking ice cream chime, by the way. Apparently, there's been 10 seconds of sun outside, and all of a sudden, it's whippy old fucking clock. <laughs> Jesus wept. Right. Um, yeah, no. Um, Emma Thompson is cashing a paycheck, but that's not necessarily a bad thing, because we all need to have a film like that. Um, she's perfectly fine. She's playing the character that I would have wanted to see in this movie be the protagonist, but hey-ho, you can't have it all. Um, and at least I believe that there exists a rivalry between the Baroness and Cruella. And I think that is down to Emma Stone and more so Emma Thompson selling the performance and selling the, the fledgling rivalry. It, it, it actually feels legitimate. Um, I, I do feel that it is kind of a bit one note from the Baroness. And there are some really fucking strange decisions as to how they wrap up her story, which we'll fucking get to. But on the whole, performance-wise, I can't really complain. It's Emma Thompson. She's a professional. <laughs> she She's not really turned in a performance that could be described as cataclysmically bad. I don't think she's one of those breeds of actresses. She's just that good. The Baroness character is, 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 is another beast entirely, because... They made some decisions. Boy, how did they make some decisions with that character? And we can't really talk about them before spoilers. So it's as much as I have to say on that. Fair enough. I think you could probably say something similar about Joel Fry, uh, who plays Jasper, who's one of um, Cruella's minions. Um, I think, again, he's pretty good in everything I've ever seen him in. Like, he's usually not, like, a bad thing to turn up. He weirdly turns up in Game of Thrones for a few episodes. That's odd, but... Uh, yeah, he's pretty good, I think. Uh, he's kind of like... He's the, the softer side of trying to kind of chain Estella to normality. Like, yes, he is a bit of a petty thief and a con artist, but, like, he's a, he's a thief of a heart of gold type of thing. He, he's very much the moral centre of this film. And I think, again, does a good job. But I think, really, we need to talk about Paul, White, Paul Walter Hauser even <laughs> yeah so very quickly joel fry is probably the best actor in the movie he's really good i really liked him i have nothing bad to say so let's talk about paul walter hauser why on earth michael would you get an american to play this over the top of a cockney like are they just going for dick van dyke vibes here because I think Paul Walter Hauser signed up at a very early point when this was a very different film. Because he sticks out like a whole fucking bum this whole time. <laughs> like, he can't... Like, he sounds like a Cockney trying to do an impression of an American doing an impression of a Cockney. And it <laughs> just doesn't work. Like, he's borderline incomparable. Like, you can't understand him sometimes. And... Like, it shows up, the way he talks about football, it's clearly an American who doesn't understand football talking about it. Like, ah, I don't, like, I understand you want to put Emma Stone front and centre, who is an American playing an English person, but she's at least, one, had experience of doing English accent, because she was in The Favourite and other things like that. And two, you know, she's, she's the, the, the level of actress you can kind of forgive that. I don't feel Paul Walter Hauser was pulling in the kids for the for Cruella. His name on the billboard was not, well, I want to watch that movie. So just get a Cockney, dude. There's hundreds of thousands of them running around. Just grab one and you'll be fine. I don't, I don't get it. Like, he's trying his hardest, but again, it feels like he's 
in a different movie to everybody else. He signed on before they decided to make Disney's Joker. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. This very much is a case of we have to uh, we have to separate it. We have to talk about Paul Walter Hauser and Paul Walter Hauser's Cockney accent, which are yeah. separate characters. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, I've I've missed this trope where <laughs> we have to literally separate the look and the voice of a character. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I reckon they just cast him because Nick Frost wasn't free. To be honest. Oh, 100,000%. Nick Frost was unavailable at the time, so they got Paul Waterhazer. Like, I like Paul Waterhazer. He was great in I, Tonya. Um, I haven't seen the one about the Boston Marathon bombings, but I've heard he's very good in that as well. I just don't get why he's here. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's the best point you've ever made, yeah. 100% Nick Frost was just not available, and apparently he was the next rotund guy they could get hold of <laughs> they, they only have uh, him nick frost and unfortunately philip seymour hoffman died so now they've only got him <laughs> and nick frost <laughs> oh God. i think you know what i and you said good things about joel fry i think even you would be slightly more favorable if it was just simon Pegg and nick frost as the two bumbling psychics because they make everything good yeah, so, 100%. other than I, I tried watching that Truth Seekers on Amazon Prime, that really wasn't all that great. Simon Pegg wasn't in that one though, was he? Yeah, he is. He oh, is. he's in it. Oh, okay. Yeah, not like he's not like a it's very much his Nick Frost TV show, but um, yeah, Simon Pegg in the two episodes I watched, Simon Pegg was in both of them. Yeah. Oh, okay, fair enough then. Uh, yeah, no, actually, I would have really liked it if this was Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, but I think that would have slightly missed cast them because because everyone's supposed to be a younger version uh, um, yeah and you know they're they're simon Pegg and nick frost ages in the cartoon and the glenn close version so if they were just flat out fucking remake it under one dalmatians that's who you get <laughs> that's what you do yeah um, i imagine that like if you want both as like there must be like an additional fee you have to pay to have them both in it and Edgar Wright has to come down with a contract or something <laughs> no one's allowed to use them both apart from Edgar he Wright comes, he comes up through the floor like Devil Flanders just <laughs> here you go oh that would work so well especially because like he's, he's supposedly a really nice bloke so he's definitely yeah. Devil Flanders 100% <laughs> wow that is a deep cut Simpsons reference when you need one um <laughs> Yeah, I... And, like, also, in a film that's tied to a franchise famously about dogs, why <laughs> did you not get a single real fucking dog at any point to turn up in these films? I was looking forward to having this conversation. There's a... I was watching... We were having an argument through the credits, and then it scrolled past, and it credited, like, six Dalmatians. I was like, fuck off. No, there is no, no, no. no way. There was not one Dalmatian on screen at any fucking point. What? Like, do you remember when, like, dog, like, live action animal movies used to have live action animals that acted? Do you remember that wonderful oh, yeah. time? Where, yes, like, I remember Babe. Yeah, Babe, fr the dog from Frasier. Um, who else? Wishbone. You know, Beethoven. Beethoven. Airbud. All the Airbuds. All the MVPs. Most valuable primates. My brother loves 
any film that an animal can do a sport in, and he's seen them all. And that was the 90s when they were doing that business. How much time has your brother spent on Airbud? Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I think he's the only man alive who's seen all seven Airbuds. And I'm the only second person alive who knows there's seven Airbud movies. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, I I just don't... Because they've got like this chihuahua with like one eye or whatever. And it's clearly not there. Like, it's so blatantly not there. And I can understand that, and I can understand a bit to the extent... You need the Dalmatians to be running about and being all bitey and stuff. You've seen that in the trailers. I don't think that's a spoiler. But Estella has a dog. Cruella has a dog that doesn't really do all that much. And that looks to be CGI 90% of the time. And I don't get it. Like... For the times they need to be doing stuff, fair enough, but there's somewhere they're just walking. Or, like, you know, there's a shot of the two dogs looking at each other, and it's clearly CGI. It's pretty decent CGI. No, but... it isn't. No, it but... fucking isn't. The thing is, we could tell. And it's not like... Okay, you know, It's enough. not like we're hardened, hardened movie critics that are like, oh, I can tell. It's like, no, 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 just they look bad. The Dalmatians especially look like they were filmed in another room. And, like, yeah. superimposed onto the footage. They look so fucking bad. Like, I don't know dogs, but is that just because Dalmatians aren't all that aggressive or, like, scary looking? So they needed to, like, invent some? Like, crossbred with Rottweilers? I don't know. <laughs> you, know but, like, like... you know, like, how you would rub, like, a dog's face in, like, where they pissed on the carpet and just like, no, you're not supposed to do this. I yeah. feel like someone should get, like, the VFX team for this and rub their <laughs> face in the Umbrella Academy. Just like, you're supposed to do this! <laughs> that is a very good point. Yeah, it's... Oh, God. It's... That is the one bit I think I can unanimously agree with you was shonky and should not have happened. Right, there's not all that many characters... Like, there is some surprising people like, lower down on this cast list. For example, so... The allusions to 101 Dalmatians pop up when convenient. Um, so much so that, again, because I haven't watched the original movie, I didn't realise that both the man and the woman from 101 Dalmatians turn up in this movie. What if we just played by Caven Novak, for fuck's sake? And I was like, <laughs> oh, cool. What's Caven Novak doing here? He must have a big part. He doesn't have a big part. Nope. And I was like, so why have you cast Caven Novak to do... Oh, it's setting up for the sequel so he can be the main character. Gotcha. Um, so he's the, the, the dad of the Dalmatians? That's the wrong phrase. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying Kevin Novak fucks dog. Um, <laughs> no, we wouldn't ever have made that assumption unless you said he was the daddy of the Dalmatians. I know, but you know what I mean? He's the owner. That's the word. He's yes, the owner he's the, of by the... By the end of the movie... I don't fucking give shit about spoilers now. By the end of the movie, he owns Pongo, which is like the Dalmatian. Also... Again, this shows the limited knowledge I have of 101 Dalmatians. Up until we left the cinema, I was under the presumption that one pregnant Dalmatian gave birth to 101 puppies in one go. And I was like, you're not that big, which I I didn't realise would break the laws of physics. But there we go. Um, I, for some reason, thought they bred like uh, rabbits or fucking weevils. I don't know. But anyway, um, my limited knowledge of dog breeding aside, um, Anita Darling, on the other hand, who is the other owner of the dogs um she has a bit more of a substantial part in this her name is kirby Harold baptiste um she is a childhood friend of estella who she later meets in uh, later in life she happens to be a journalist and she's kind of plays into her um attempts cruella's attempts to kind of break into the fashion 
industry and kind of overshadowed the Baron. Uh, she was fine, pretty non-offensive. Um, but, I mean, again, I guess they're being just set up for a sequel, so we have to see how both of them do better in the sequel in a few years' time. I think this is one of the problems I have with the film as well. Is like, I think it's, I love Kevin Novak. I think he's great. Mm-hmm. And they don't give him enough to do with this movie. But, again, that's because they are trying to franchise build off of a weird time-displaced reboot of 101 fucking Dalmatians, which boggles the mind um i mean if you want to improve your viewing experience just pretend he's um nandor and he's just like he's going through a phase <laughs> that works for all cave and novak movies though so that's fine yeah <laughs> oh is he gonna be like bruce willis in the future where i don't see i can only see john mcclain undercover not bruce willis doing things I hope so. That would be hysterical. Because <laughs> that be just lovely. means that whenever he turns up, no matter how serious the role, all all we're going to be thinking about is, uh, is the fucking... We drained some people who were on drugs and now I'm a wizard. <laughs> like, if they just have one shot in the third season of What We Do in the Shadows with him with the red and white phone jacket hat on, I'll, I can die happy. That's then canon, and, and that, that suits me down to the ground. Um, <laughs> right. Also inexplicably here is mark strong and I, oh yeah they, what the fuck was this casting what has mark strong got to do to get better roles who right? was mark like, strong hurt <laughs> <laughs> whose dog did mark strong run over at some point because <laughs> like for years we've been like we, we fan cast him in basically everything we ever do like you, you bash over the head like he should be professor x and i agree wholeheartedly and hopefully he will be but like like, maybe he's just got a Sam Jackson thing where he just doesn't say no. It's like, oh, this the pay is good. I'll, I'll be fine. I'll make it work. And he does. He plays the Baroness's it, it, butler, I guess. Yeah. He's down as John the Valet, which just makes him sound like he parks the car. But he basically, like, <laughs> does everything for the Baroness. So butler slash PA, I guess. And he, again, he's more plot device than character. But again, it's just nice to see Mark Strong pop up in things. But... A little bit of a waste. I feel like you could have probably cast someone a bit cheaper than Mark Strong there. Yeah, this fit. This feels like he was doing something as an apology. It really does. He's just so so out of place, and he's like, and he turns up pretty early on into the movie, and he's like, uh, <laughs> it's just so odd. The best bit though, I, I I've really stopped giving a shit about spoilers. They do like this whole movie is basically a fucking flashback, and then like they do a flashback inside the flashback. Um, to when Mark Strong has the least convincing wig on of all time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a man who has carved his career on being bald, and you give him... Give him it's like PlayStation 1 Tekken graphics hair. <laughs> it looks so shit. But, okay, but yeah, I've seen this before. With any bald actor putting a wig on, it just looks odd. So even if it was like the greatest wig in the world, it might still not work because... Well, we just know that's what Mark Strong doesn't look like. Mm. So you might have that going for him. Right. In terms of other characters to talk about, there's only one more I want to mention, which I feel like is part of Disney's reluctant, um, you know, push to be more LGBTQ plus inclusive, um, which is a geezer by the name of John McCree, who plays Artie. Now, he's not from the book. He's not from the um, the adaptations. He's a 
brand new character. And he's essentially Cruella's, like, second-in-command, um, what's the word I'm for? Fashion designer. Mm. Uh, the kind of man on the ground when she finally decides to become a fashion designer for herself. Um, he's, again, it's... I, I felt like we could have spent more time with him because he, too, is, like, a marginalised character. You know, they sell that, you know, Cruella comes from nothing and that's why she's not really been given a chance in life. He is a... Um, Hmm. Do they really establish what his gender identity is? I don't think they do. Don't think they do. But considering that the guy is uh, is called Artie, which is a guy's name, I'm going to assume he he identifies as a man. I would yeah, say he's he like is. yeah he he but he he owns like a retro shop. He dresses um, in whatever clothes basically take his fancy. Um, again, it's good that these characters are being included, especially this is a brand new one. I think it's the first time. He's the first original Walt Disney character who is LGBTQ+. So, great. Um, but I feel like this is a, uh, something I'm going to need to bring up in the Luca review more so than here. But, uh, yeah, I feel like you could have done a bit more with that. But, again, uh, baby steps. I'll, I'll take even that. Is yeah, there anybody like, else in that cast you want to talk about? Sorry, I cut you off. Then. I mean, I don't think there's anybody else in that cast fucking period. But, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I didn't know. I thought it was... You know what Artie felt like to me? Mm-hmm. He felt like a time anchor. Like It was like, just so you know, this was definitely in the 70s. Because here he is, the man who who was fucking the first Ziggy Stardust tribute. Like, just so you know when this film takes place. It's a bit weird to me. But yeah, they didn't... They, they introduce him, and you feel like it's going to be this, you know, this recurring character. And then... Quite frankly, Cruella fucking adopts him. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's given naff all to do. <laughs> it's just such a shame. Yeah. Yeah, again, uh, uh, remind me when we get round to the Luca review to talk about this type of stuff. But I think what... I want to touch on the plot for a little bit. So it's basically like a heist movie. Not singular. It's more there's lots of smaller ones. Um, and like this kind of underground DIY approach to doing fashion and, and all that jazz. I think because it's it doesn't sit still, this movie, it's a little hyperactive and that it bounces all over the place. I think that kind of helps it keep up the pace. So I when I came out the, the screen, I wasn't bored. And I think that's the best thing I say about this movie. It kind of zoomed by, even though it's like, I think it's like two hours long. It didn't feel like that for me, at least. And I think the kind of structure of it, of there's always something, there's always a goal that Corello is trying to achieve, whether that's, you know, upstaging the Baroness or if she's trying to steal back something related to the plot. Um, I, I think that kind of keeps it moving. Maybe that's why I enjoyed it more. I didn't linger on the characters because I was kind of engaged by the action a bit more than you seem to have been. I, I'm so conflicted about the pace of this movie because I think you're right in the... You're certainly not at any point going, you're not watching the clock, which I guess is a point in its favour. But I think what I said earlier about the film feeling like a two hour trailer, it carries into the film because it's it's just very like it's very. um, What's the word I'm looking for? It has a very short attention span. And it doesn't seem like it can focus on a storyline or a beat or a moment or any form of development because it's too busy throwing things at you and speeding through this character's history that 
the entire film kind of feels like a vignette like it's a big sequence and not in a good mad max way where it where it's one long chase scene but in a very much like a and now this and now this and now this and now this and now this, and just yeah pace wise you you could argue that it's a fantastically paced movie i would call it a movie that doesn't know when to stop doesn't know when to let things breathe because you physically don't have chance to there there are multiple moments in this story which again i don't think it's 100% terrible i think it's the execution of it that's 100% terrible because there's 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 moments that we could have really dwelled on and there's some really genius things that come in like those heist style sequences that don't get chance to be properly explored or properly set up so that when it happens you're like oh fuck okay that's happened and then it's on to the next thing it's so scatterbrained and mm-hmm. i'm not sure whether this is a fault of the director i'm not sure whether it's a fault of the fact that they had to cover up that they didn't actually have a lot of story written into this story but i don't know it didn't sit well with me i can get that but i think it also it has like a bit of it has confidence about it which i like in the it it's tonally doesn't really jump around that much yes the action's kind of scatterbrain and and all that stuff i I think it other than when um paul i've lost his name because i opened a new tab um him when he's on screen obviously being a bit more over the top but i I think it has such a confidence about it especially like there's there's one scene that kind of encapsulates that it's later on in the film so the baroness is having a a fashion so corella kind of upstage and then stages one in the park across the road and it's playing, um, oh, what's that song? Um, I Want to Be a Dog. Now I want to be a dog. Oh, yeah, the Stooges. And it's like, yeah. yeah. And it's like a proper big, like, underground fashion cell vibe to it. And I like the confidence in which it handles that. And I think that kind of helps the movie pour through. By the way, sorry, you only mentioned the director. I thought, well, what else has he directed? I now know why... Um, Paul, I forgot his name again. Paul Walter Hauser is in this because it's the same guy who directed I Tonya. Really? Oh, that's disappointing. Yeah. That's really that disappointing. Does make sense though, doesn't it? Total sense. That makes total sense. But fuck me, I Tonya's actually a really good movie. <laughs> yeah. And, I can see yeah. that this is like, it's a lesser than everything it's trying to. I mean, I prefer this to Joker, but I very, very much know I'm in the uh, oh, well, minority well, there. The- Hold the fuck! You prefer Cruella to Joker. I didn't get on board with everything Joker was trying to do. Oh, like, I found it... falling out. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> like it just, I, I. At least this one's fun to watch. Joker's just a miserable slogger, and then like you can go back and listen to our Joker review for my full and unadulterated opinions on Joker. But I, I think I preferred this just because it was like. It's a kids' movie, so by design, it's going to have a bit more fun about it. And yes, it is nowhere near the character study and in-depth stuff that Joker is. But and, and like I said, this is very much like a, a not a cheap knockoff because I do I did like this film, but it's 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 not trying to be as grand and have as many brilliant ideas as that film has. But I think that kind of helps it, in my opinion. Like I, I, I overthink Joker. I admit to that. I um, I can't switch my brain off of all these different thoughts I had about it. Thankfully, don't have to do that here, because it doesn't have that many things to think about. 
which I think is why I engage with more. <laughs> Don't ever think that I'm a professional movie critic, people, and this should be... I've given you years of evidence to go and pick through, but this is yet another one. But, yeah, I don't... Uh, again, I, I am excited to go and watch this again when it comes back onto Disney+. Plus Because I will want... I do want to see what factor it being the first movie back helped. But, again, the first movie I watched back was... Well, okay, New Mutants. Let, let, that's a gimme. The first one I watched back in a proper full cinema was Tenet. And I fucking hated that movie. <laughs> yeah, so, we both did. <laughs> uh, that didn't have... That didn't play a part in that whatsoever um i'm so... still yet to go back to the cinema so you know i've been we're going been... to black widow though oh yes that's now yeah, that's a return because yeah, then it oh yeah like the world's right again the reviews are out haven't read them i'm not going to read them though that doesn't sound good uh, uh not bad not bad just anyway um Right, anything else you want to bring up before we say... I say spoiler alert, and then basically go quiet for about 20 minutes, I feel. <laughs> uh, potentially. Uh, I, I feel like the, the vast majority of my moaning is going to be done after the spoiler alert. I, I, I'm a little bit concerned about the um, the kind of... what reaction this is going to have with kind of like the darker side of the internet, because I've heard people describe this as the shitty girl boss version of Joker. And I weirdly get where they're coming from because it's like you said it's a kids movie so obviously they can't show a very extreme character um so it is very much the, the toned down one but weirdly enough i don't particularly think and maybe this is actually to the film's detriment i don't particularly think it's a badly written female character because <laughs> at least you would kind of understand her wants and goals at least that it isn't you know, it's actually all more about self-realization than it is anything else, in a strange manner, and coming to terms with the, you know, your, I guess your the darker side of your personality. If you really wanted to stretch that out, I know a lot of people are going to see this as, oh, but, but but the movie is about dogs, not whamming, and you're just going to see some vile shit creeping up. But I don't particularly think this movie's a problem. I don't like it, and you're going to hear why, but I don't think the movie deserves to not exist. I think there's a better version of this film to be made. I hope it's in the sequel, since we're apparently going to be subjected to that. But I don't hate this. Actually, I do really want to praise, because this movie is very much based in, in fashion, I do really want to praise the fashion design and a bit of the set design as well. I thought some of the, the bits looked really fucking good. The editing doesn't do it much justice, especially, you know, the Banksy scenes where you've got all the headlines flying past felt a bit on the fucking nose. Mm. But I can't fault how good the costumes are. Like That's getting nominated, probably. I would say that's, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, Mulan got nominated and that was basically everyone in fucking red armor. So if that can get nominated. This fucking deserves it, frankly. So I mean, I don't know what you thought. I don't know whether you were really paying attention to that. No, I agree. I think visually, that might even be its like strongest component, which is good because obviously, Cruella from the world of fashion, you'd hope the visuals would work. Um, so yeah, I can get that. And I think it will win. Sorry, I got distracted by looking at the credits because you can tell when actors add their own credits, such as uh, Ninette Finch as Lady, and my personal favourite, Dylan Lowe as Mean Ginger. <laughs> 
Did they literally not even give the kid a name to like go, your name's Ethan and you're a mean ginger? No, it was literally just, here's your name and your character motivation if you're a mean ginger. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, right. I would give it a recommendation. It's a soft one, don't get me wrong. Um, and the fact it's it's a three should show you how weak of a film year we've had up to this point. And it will not be in the top five. It's not going to be a Sonic the Hedgehog. I, we're, we're getting back touch. God damn wood, we're getting back to normality. There's a lot of films that will knock this down the list. Don't worry about that. But I think, and, and again, I think at this point you would have already gone out to see it. If you see it on Disney Plus in a few weeks' time and it's for free, I'd say go for it. I think it's it breezes along. If it was, you know, I had fun with it, but it also felt overly long, I wouldn't recommend it. It does genuinely breeze by. So it's a nice, safe popcorn film. I think kids are going to like it. I think you might stand a chance of liking it as well. There's me presuming you're not a kid, but I don't like to think about any 12-year-olds listening to this podcast, especially with how much you've been effing and jeffing this episode. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I'd give it a soft recommendation, presuming you're not from the same train of thought. Uh, there is a parental guidance notice on all these podcasts. You'd be right Good. to follow them. Uh, I, I, uh, am I going to agree with you about it breezing past? Maybe. I think whilst the movie is fast-paced, it is a little bit schizophrenic. I think whilst the movie is very long, it doesn't feel like it's really a saga, which is great. I like some of the performances. I, I think, you know, there are some nice things to see there. Joel Fry, especially, uh, Emma Thompson, Emma Stone. They're not bad actresses. They they know what they're doing and they'd be, you know, you'd be stupid to not want to be the lead with like these well-established characters. I can see why it's been made. And then everything else happens. And I just cannot, I cannot understand. Especially I cannot understand as to, how much studio interference there was with this movie and that is something i would love to know because this feels like it was engineered to be this call and response to joker especially because the maleficent movies never set the world on fire so it felt like this was going right okay well new direction we'll just try this cool but you've kind of got to also see through the villainous aspects of the character because his character isn't a villain and that's the be-all and end-all for me. You you pay your money to go and see the Cruella character that you know and love. You know, cinemas aren't cheap. A lot of people are still struggling for uh, uh, for, for like their own job security, so entertainment comes at a premium. And you'd be pissed off, like me, if you paid 20 quid to watch this on Disney+, Disney Plus, because it's not a 20-quid movie. It's a wait-till-it's-on-Disney-plus-for-free movie. But not everybody's got a film podcast to record, and that's my own fucking cross to bear. So there we go. <laughs> Okay, buckle up everybody, you have been warned, the Effin and Jeffin is likely to reach new extremes. Spoiler alert! No, it wasn't Where that. would you like to start? No, it wasn't that bad. I'm kidding, I fucking hate this movie. <laughs> right. Okay, so, let's start right at the bastard beginning, shall we? So, uh-huh. you have the opportunity, and I think this was, this is the bit, like, within the first few moments you know that this is a calculated fucking response to Joker. Because... Cruella, quite a striking character. The half and half black and white hairdo, you know, she's basically an evil domino. And <laughs> and it's like, how does this character, this, you know, snappily dressed if aged fucking witch who is like somehow the the height of fashion um, get there? And the answer is she was born that way. It was not Maybelline. So 
you have this scene where the baby's born full head of air like it was on a soap and it's like half and half down the middle it's like oh right okay so the visual signifier of this character and probably of this character's insanity is baked in from the start are we going to make a fun and interesting point about that no we're not um it then goes on and then of course we get this is what disney doesn't understand about writing villains it's about making them empathetic in a way that is believable and details their descent into madness for thanos and i keep bringing up thanos it is it is this idea that he thinks that he is chosen he thinks he is right in you know decimating half of all known life because he's the only one who can do it then there's the other school of thought which is the thing that they hate must have killed one of their parents and um let's just say this ain't a thanos situation she, <laughs> dalmatians literally kill her mother what the fuck what the fuck i, I joked about it like before that scene started, i was like wouldn't it be funny wouldn't it be funny because i don't believe the movie would ever go to this contrived level of shite if the dalmatians killed her mom and of course they fucking do it because hack writers hack fucking writers <laughs> Oh my god, they actually did it. There's a scene where they fucking push her mom off a cliff. I can't believe, I can't believe that that's what they went with. That was, and it's like, and you know damn fucking well. Like, they, they kind of veer against it later on in the movie to the film's credit, of which I'll give it less than five. Like, they kind of veer it into a different direction, but they have the shitty villain setup of blank killed my mom. Fuck me. Okay. 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 We, uh, you want you want to you want to you want to jump in on that? If I may, I I get that. I do, and I think this might actually be a very interesting future episode of like a joint pitch intense where we pitch what we would have done. Because, basically, again, given the mandate from Disney, they've got to engineer themselves out of a few problems and kind of invent reasons why a protagonist would later in life want to kill Dalmatians. Yes, this is a very obvious and easy way to go about it. To the film's credit, it does give them a very long-running kind of red herring going along the whole movie of you're basically waiting for her to kill the dogs. And she never does. Like, there's even a bit Sorry. during the... Go on. <laughs> the, the way that you said that then, it just reminded me of fucking shoot the dog. <laughs> shoot the dog. Shoot the dog. That's who should have played the, the Mark Strong character. I wish that's who should have played the Baroness. Shoot the dog. <laughs> My cocaine in a dress. Yes, please. Yes, please. 100%. So... Here we go. I, 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 during the I want to be a dog fashion shoot, right? Fashion show even. She walks out and she's got like the Dalmatian print dress on. And the Baroness goes like, oh my God. At this point, the dogs have been kidnapped. She goes out of her way to kidnap the dogs because they've eaten her mom's pearls. Something like that, wasn't it? It was like some family heirloom. Yeah, that... so, so, so the film starts and it's just like Cruella's a fucking like not even troublemaking kids she's just the kid that doesn't give a shit um yeah. 
this leads them to then up to the Hellman Hall, not Hell Hall, like you all remember, but Hellman Hall, because apparently before fashion, mayonnaise was the big thing. And, <laughs> and then you've got this, you introduced to a, the back of a character who's going to be very important uh, because they have to stop here in, in the middle of this fashion show to go and do something that's not explained at all ever uh, and that's where the, this 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 necklace is introduced i feel like disney's got a fucking kink at the minute for introducing like trinkets and jewelry that nobody gave a shit about and making them the plot point like the dice from solo and now this i i would agree if not it would work perfectly i mean i do have a pair of uh, Han Solo's dice currently hanging around my uh, rearview mirror, so there's that. Uh, I get, I get it. Not um, shot, I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean, it was a Christmas present, admittedly, but I still have that. Um, and I am looking at the very expensive um, jewelry box from Anastasia that I bought for my fiance. So you know, I get it. Uh, yeah, it no, I can't. Um, I can't really even fucking bang on about it that much. I'm looking at a Walkman and a Zune. So yeah, you know. Got you there. Um, so, well, okay, we're in spoilers. It doesn't matter. So, turns out the Baroness is Corella's mom, and the mom that she thought she had was like, it's like a, a blood brother situation. She had this kid. She didn't want the kid because she hated her husband or something. So she basically pawns it off on the maid, um, and uh, uh, that's Corella. And the Baroness. Later on in life, Corella wants to become a fashion designer when she's like nine. Her mom says, right, we can go to this place. Maybe we'll be able to get some money off of her because you're her child. And this is where the mom gets killed by the Dalmatians and she takes the necklace. And the whole subplot of the movie, the real driving force when things slow down a little bit, is the Baroness has this um, necklace in her possession. And at some point they try to nick it and it gets eaten by one of the Dalmatians. Mm. So they have to kidnap the Dalmatians in order for them to shit it out. Dalmatian shitting is a not unsubstantial plot point <laughs> of this movie. Um, God, it is, isn't it? It is. and but, but that's the thing. That's when the red herring comes in. But you think, well, it's Cruella de Vil. She has a zero fucking problem killing dogs. Or at least the future version of it does. And they keep playing with that. And you, the Baroness fully believes, like, oh my God, she kidnapped my dogs and skinned them and now she's wearing their fur. And in the very next scene, you see the Dalmatians and it's like, oh, right, she's not gone full-blown heel yet. She hasn't skinned the dogs. And she's like, why would I do that? I'm not a mad person. Um, so, I, I, again, I, I I, think it was a very contrite way of getting there and a very short and easy way of getting there. But in terms of character motivation, and again, you've got to think, this is a kid's movie. They could have gone up with some very nuanced reason why she specifically doesn't like Dalmatians. But the kids... It wouldn't work for the kids, Michael. Think of the children. Why won't someone please think of the children? They will understand. Oh, dogs kill the mom. That's why she's okay with killing dogs. Fair enough. I get it. Um, so you mentioned Hellman's. It's made me think about mayonnaise. So <laughs> I'm a little distracted. Like, I, I wasn't a, a... Just a quick side note. I wasn't really a mayonnaise guy. But then it comes with all of our gusto recipes. I kind of come round on mayo a little bit. I still think it's a C-tier condiment. But there you are. I'm not sure what's whiter, coming round on mayonnaise or ranking condiments. I'm not sure which is the more uh, white thing. 
<laughs> well, I rank everything, so I don't feel that's really like a white thing to do. That's just a <laughs> me thing to do. Um, but for those wondering, uh, barbecue and tomato sauce are obviously S tier, uh, and uh, you were backwards in there. Um, <laughs> there we are. Okay, I've got to ask mustard. Oh no, 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 that's D tier. That, that if it's cooked into something, that can that can be fine. But I just straight mustard. Ugh, I remember trying it around my granddad's house, and I nearly died. <laughs> Yeah, it's got to be honey mustard, otherwise it's like, you know, it's not worth Ooh, bothering. Like a, a honey mustard gammon. Oof. Yeah, although... Got um, it. Fuck it, this is taking a turn. Although the <laughs> mayonnaise mustard mix that you get as a spread on a Cubano sandwich, that's some good shit. I feel like I had that with... Yeah, I think we had like a Portuguese roll, like a pork thing from Gusto. And yeah, I think it was a, a mustard and mayo combo maybe it's like a vodka red bull i hate both of those things separate but together you shouldn't drink it because it's literally the worst thing you can put in your body legally so <laughs> don't do that but um they work together so maybe that's what mayo and mustard needs to kind of push themselves up the rankings you know i mean like i'm still not going to order either of them separately but if they're there they're there i'm basically trying to distract you with food talk to maybe bring you down down a few notches <laughs> Because I feel like when, again, I kind of give you the green light to talk about something, Fuck you're going to go back up to 11. Tune into the next episode for more sauce talk. <laughs> what the fuck is this show? Uh, right, okay. Uh, let's get back to it. Back to it. I do, I do genuinely have a separate list of barbecue sauces in my head as well, if you ever want to... If you ever need that, just, just tell me to talk about barbecue sauces. I can fill the whole episode. Yeah, I mean, like, the one that you get out of hickories, then baby rays, then everything else. Anyway. Oh, no, no, no. no bah, 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 bah. You want bullseye, not baby rays. Continue. Okay. The fact that all this is, like, not even a fucking bit. <laughs> These you are... made the mayonnaise joke. This is how... You started this. This is actually how we live our lives. Jesus, fuck. <laughs> right. Jeez. Come on. <laughs> you need to get to the shit movie. Um... So, yeah, the, the necklace and shitting dogs are the, the, the drive-in plot. Subsequent to the other plot, which is, of course, the rise of Cruella as this fashion designer, which is probably the best realised plot and the most believable. However, these two plots are completely fucking divorced from one another in, like, this kind of... And this, you know, the, the kind of reverse joker, like, oh, she doesn't dye her hair into Cruella she actually dyes her hair to be Estella that she just gives herself red hair by the way Emma Stone red hair combination um oh yeah if we can go over to Pig Corner for a second oh boy <laughs> oh boy I mean Emma Stone works in any hair colour please see Gwen Stacy Emma Stone see super bad brunette Emma Stone it all works it's all good <laughs> There's Pig Corner. Pig Corner and Sauce Talk, the best two bits of this show. Uh, <laughs> and the Simpsons references. I'm ranking parts Obviously. of our shows now. <laughs> Obviously. Obviously. See, there's a ranking for everything, Michael. Just as the Simpsons quote for everything. <laughs> Focus, Michael. Come on. Come on. So. Get going. So, the, 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 the fashion designer plot, it, that's where you're introduced to, um, you know, the two sidekick characters and... The rival with the Baroness is actually fleshed out. And there's some actually really, really good sequences. The, you know, the dress that's made out of, like, moth cocoons. That's fucking cool. Mm. That's a really good idea. Why was this not plot A? Like, it isn't plot A at any point, because there's always a grip, like... And it's it's Paul Waterhouse's character's thing. That's like, what's the angle? It's like, oh. yeah, no. And it's like, yeah, no, that's 
that is the way to describe the movie because the movie should be basically a quasi crossover of Joker and Devil Meat Wears Prada, and it isn't. It's this caper movie. It's trying to be fucking Ant Man in the background, <laughs> and it, the, 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 the never shall the two meet in what would be a cohesive whole because that would be good storytelling. I feel like in my head, maybe I'm spoiling a future pitch episode here, but this film should have been, you know, Cruella is like pushed further and further and further downward by the Baroness that it drives her to insanity to then take something, the one thing that she loves most is the most beautiful thing being her Dalmatians and turns them into like her coming out party as this fucking mad bitch. And yes, that would have involved skinning the dogs. And I know that the entire point of 101 Dalmatians is that she never gets to do it. But I feel like it would have set precedence of the point that Cruella is as vile and, you know, just this mental person as she is, is because she she would get celebrated as this great fashion designer by doing just the most insane shit. And even the most insane shit in this movie, it, it you never really get to see the actual impact because the edit, the way the movie's edited together is that everything's a fucking sequence, everything's a montage. So all the best bits about this film, you know, Corella actually becoming a known entity, the idea that you know the character of Anita is basically like her Peter Parker, if you will. Um, is just kind of lost by the wayside. And that's the bit that hurts the most because there is a nugget of a really good idea in here and actually a film worth making and it's just drowned in shit that doesn't need to be there and it just makes the film break on every fucking aspect. Mm -hmm. Why were we focusing on fucking Cruella's lineage, the fucking medallion, the, the Banksy-style set pieces that you know visually would have worked but then kind of fall apart as just a prank show and then the oh god and then you get to the end i've Uh skipped over quite a lot of this because we have to explain every mortal aspect of this character it's it's the solo problem oh i'm on my own so it's han solo it's like i didn't need to have that explained to me but even you know I didn't mind that we got explained that Cruella was, you know, this child acting up. That Mm. actually works really well. It's the, this car's called a devil. Deville, mate. It's pronounced Deville. Fuck off. I don't, can this character, the main character, need I remind you, have any sense of fucking agency in the movie? Or must she inherit every fucking aspect of her being from someone else? Like, does she not make a decision that is hers in this film? Does she not have an aspect about her? When, by the end of the movie, she is Cruella de Vil that wasn't stolen from somebody else in the movie. I just, this is why I don't feel like I'm watching Cruella de Vil, because she's not cruel, and she's not Cruella de Vil. It's a fucking separate character in this stupid, weird, zany timeline where apparently everything happened in the 70s for seemingly no discernible reason, just to fucking go, well, that's a character you half recognise 
in terms of their color scheme, I guess. Is that the only thing I can give this compared to the other versions? Is just, well, at least they didn't make her hair the wrong fucking color. I hate this film. I hate this film, Darren. Really? I thought you were coming round on it. So I know, a mixed message and I get it. I get it. A few things. I, I don't disagree with what you're saying there. I don't. First of all, you call the movie a caper. And unfortunately, that word has actually taken on a bit of a cursed life in this house. Because I was convinced to watch a film. I thought my future father-in-law was making it up. But a, there is a film called Someone Stolen My Dinosaur. <laughs> and I mean, I, I kept... Oh, hang on. And, and he thought this was appeal to me because he knows I like Jurassic Park. These two movies could not be more fucking different if you try. It's from like the 60s, I think. Um, and he kept describing it as a caper. Everyone who'd seen this movie was like, oh, it's a brilliant film. I was up until the point we bought the DVD, I thought he was lying. And then I watched this film, and it's one of the most dreadful pieces of shit I've ever seen. Like, it's proper trying to be like a carry-on film, but it's just not working. And they, like, basically they steal a dinosaur skeleton. There's no actual dinosaurs, you know, no, someone's stolen my dinosaur. And <laughs> then it has, like, really bad 60s Chinese racism. So that's great. So I wondered what was going on, and now anything that's described as a caper just makes me go, Bleh. um, so there's that. <laughs> now... All your points about the agency of Cruella de Vil and the kind of the solo problem it has. I agree that the bit with a car is, is real fucking dumb. I'll give you that. But here's my take on it. And I'm not trying to like defend Disney. They do not need defending. But, and again, this is why I think it might be a good picture intense idea. Because Cruella de Vil as a character, because she was originally a villain, where you were allowed to have them be as wacky and as interesting and deep and all that jazz as needs to be because protagonists by comparison need to be a bit of an avatar it's why Keanu Reeves is always a bloody protagonist you know they can't have too many interesting facts about them because then it kind of falls apart for example if you watch any of the Pirates of the Caribbean movie in which Johnny Depp is the lead character they don't fucking work because Jack Sparrow only really works as a side character Orlando Bloom who is fucking white bread as they come works as a protagonist there we are. So, having that character, if you'd have just taken that Cruella de Vil and put it in here, she's the equivalent of, like, a giant piece of pepperoni on a small pizza. She's so potent. She's basically a nuclear bomb. And if you had gone from the offset of, like, skip the stuff with her when she's a kid, and you just start her from when we first see Emma Stone in the role, and she's full-blown Cruella, maybe not to the same extent that she eventually becomes, but is basically most of the way there. That is such a hard film to wrangle with her as a protagonist. And it keeps coming back to how I'm saying. Like, you can't do an honest-to-goodness villain as a protagonist prequel for a kid's movie because you will rob them of all the things that make them interesting. Or it's just not going to work. I've, so... I've, got, to, I've got to interject because okay. I, 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 I worry that I've given the wrong impression of what I want the film to be. I want, wanted the film, and still want the film, hope, I mean, maybe they're doing the fucking sequel, to commit to, by the end of the story, this being the majority, if not the entire way, to it being the character you know. And I, I, keep, I hate having to bring Joker in as a crutch the entire time, but there are points in that film where Joker is a sympathetic man that does not in any way resemble the Joker. 
and that's what you want. You want the majority of the movie to be what pushes this person to become that character. Anakin Skywalker at the start of Episode Three isn't Darth Vader. You know, the, okay. It, it takes yes. several different things happening to him in sequence for him to get to the point where he murders younglings. In much the same way, it should take several different things happening to Estella before she wants to skin some dogs. <laughs> no. Okay, but so, well, maybe they thought the sequel was going to come at some point anyway, and then they will have um, Anita and Roger as a protagonist in the second one, and we can do that turn there. I know that's me very much defending a movie because, oh, don't worry, they'll fix it in the sequel, which is not great defence from my part. But I just feel, like, you look at Maleficent. That is not an origin story for the Maleficent that turns up in... What's Maleficent in? Is she in Sleeping Beauty? I don't know. I think it's Sleeping Beauty. Ah. It's, it becomes its own character. By the time the sequel rolls around, that is an alternative timeline one. And I think because... Especially because, basically, well... The, the clearest thing that this is an alternative reality to everything else that came before, they've changed the ethnicity of one of the two henchmen. So this is a new Cruella we are dealing with. <laughs> I, I don't be the one to be the one to point it out, but um, I, I think Jasper got a little less black as he got older. <laughs> <laughs> the, the kid, oh, the kid actors are shit, by the way. But like, <laughs> yeah, horrendous. But like, I'm pretty yeah. sure the kid actor that they got for Jasper is far more black than uh, the guy they got to play Jasper. Like the oh, the timing's weird as well. It's just thinking about that, the timing's weird as well. They all age up very quickly, and yet only ten years happen, maybe at a push. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah, because Emma Thompson doesn't look any different, so fair enough. But I, I just feel like if you're treating this as an alternative Cruella de Vil. One that isn't destined to kill dogs. And I understand that, well, then what's the point of doing this movie if you're going to end up with that level of Cruella Deville? You can still have her be much more over the top and a lot more akin to what we had previously in the sequels without having to have that one aspect of her character. I don't know how you do that. I, I just don't. But I feel like it would have taken a very brave writer and very skilled people, which they can't afford at Disney, in order to have it be like a full-blown Cruella Deville movie, I've just seen it fall apart so many times when you try and make your protagonist super, super interesting. It can kind of work in very over-the-top comedies, but that's not what they were going for here. And it never was. If, it, if they were just doing a proper... If it was the movie that Paul Walter Hauser thought he was in, maybe that could work. <laughs> but that's not what they're going for. It's a much more reserved film than that. And I think, ultimately... This is the way I would have gone. Feel free to call me a coward for also choosing to... Maybe not exactly what they did here, but some of the broad strokes are probably keeping place. But, yeah, that, that's why I think it's... You'd have to take a very brave writer writing a very different film for you to have the exact Cruella. Not in a one-to-one -one thing, but, you know, a much stronger resemblance of her early on and then arriving at full-blown Cruella by the end of the film. It's just a very difficult juggling act, and I don't necessarily blame them for taking the different route that they did. I get that, and I understand that, and that, you know, by the end of the film, where it's it's still trading on the iconography that you know, you know, it's very much setting up a new version of 101 Dalmatians. But that's the very tinge at the end of that movie that you get, where you, the Caven Novak version of Roger is writing the song from the 60s cartoon that Corella Deville song 
the song that very much says, if she doesn't scare you, nothing will, or something worse to those effects. I don't think she's scary. I don't think she's got an air of menace about her in the mm. slightest. And yeah, sure, okay, maybe we're not doing the ultra-villainous version of this character that I think, realistically, they could have lent into in some regard. But she's not even really that fucking scary. And you can have characters that are good, that are still imposing or menacing or mm -hmm. any of these things. And I don't think it's a problem with Emma Stone's performance. I think she was doing the best with what she was given. They didn't give enough Cruella to Cruella. They didn't give enough, you know, the idea that, like, I mean, I think about the Glenn Close version and how everything is a drama and she loves saying the word imbecile and stuff like that. And it just doesn't really make an appearance. I can think of one scene where Cruella acts like Cruella and then they literally roll it back because Jasper gets his fee-fees hurt. So they don't so they don't have to ever address why these two knock about. And that's the that's actually one of the things I would praise about the movie had they committed to making Cruella a fucking bitch because it makes so much more sense that these two guys would knock about doing her dirty work because they feel sorry for her. They feel sorry for this abandoned orphan who has been continuously shat on her entire life. And that's why they hang about, and that's why they do all the weird, zany, fucking caper antics. Sorry, I, 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 now, I, now I know you don't like the word. I'm going to use it more often. Um, <laughs> but... That's cruel and unusual punishment, don't do that. <laughs> okay. Or I'll bore you with more source talk. <laughs> You're implying I didn't enjoy the fucking source talk. Yeah. I'm, I'm down for yeah. episode two of source talk. Um, <laughs> but... Um, it doesn't get there. It doesn't do that. And, and that's that's like it feels robbed of any motivation that this character would have going forward, especially because in the addition to the very close of the movie, the the revelation that, that you know, Pongo and the other one, whose name I can't remember, were, were gifts from Cruella to these people who she tangentially met. Therefore, therefore, like rewriting the entire DNA of this story in what is supposed to feel like a callback to the early version of the story where she didn't do that. And the whole point was, is that she was like, I think she was supposed to be like Anita's school friend, which is they do do that. They do do that. But she's always meant to be like this distant figure at the start of the movie. And then when she comes in and she's fucking batshit, it makes sense that. She lays eyes on the dogs and goes, well, I'm fucking having them. Now it's like she already reclaimed the, Dal the CGI Dalmatians that are God's, God's mistake from the Baroness. And now she's she's breeding them. Now she's making more of them and giving them out as, as gifts. This is very anti-Cruella. Doesn't put it in good standing for a sequel if we're supposed to watch her go mental, which Disney won't commit to anyway. So what actually was the point? I mean, there was a chase scene with a queen song. That was that was fun. Oh, everyone likes Stone Cold Crazy. Oh, there we go. Ten out of ten, then. <laughs> right. I feel for the sake of your marriage, I need to offer you the opportunity to get literally all venting done. Is there anything else you need to rage against the machine about? I think I've done the vast majority of it. Just the idea that it's not Good. a villain story is has me perturbed. And the and fair enough. You know, the it, it's the. It, 
it's just so obviously trying to be Joker in a very kid-friendly way. And there are some things I don't think it's worth bothering doing a kid-friendly way. There's also some things I don't think it's worth going the opposite way and doing a hyper-violent version of. There's, there's, some things are just better left where they are. I very much feel this way about, I would say, probably all of the Disney classics at the very least. Like, Jungle Book proved me wrong. That's a better version of Jungle Book. There's no reason to watch the animated version. It's a better version. It, it just it just works so much better in terms of spectacle. But, like, did we really need all these, you know, the live-action redos, which are retreadings with very slight alterations? Like, oh, the, the guy that Gaston knocked about with is gay, but we won't ever say it because we want Chinese money. What did that add? Jungle Book felt like it added an extra dimension to that story and i really appreciated it for it maleficent feels like a fucking rehash and uh, an excusing of the villain characters there's nothing wrong with having villainous evil characters because how else are you going to tell a polarizing story if you want kids to understand the basic concepts of good versus evil you need personifications of good and evil this film, yes, it has them, but they're the wrong fucking way around. I just, uh, I, who is this for? Who was this made for? Like, it, clearly, it was made for you and my wife, because <laughs> you both liked it, which is so fucking bizarre to me. I get why my wife liked it. There was a lot of good costumes, and she likes Emma Stone. So I, I get it. I get why she enjoyed it, and don't get me wrong, if you enjoyed Cruella, more power to you, because it's nice to enjoy things, especially as the world is trying to get its shit together and can't quite fucking manage it. So, something to make you feel better, if it's this film, you know what, go to town. But... I think I'm starting to dislike movies where, you know, people say, like, oh, if you just turn your brain off, it's, it's good. Like, that's not an excuse anymore because I watched Godzilla vs. Kong earlier this year and it didn't have that problem. Yes, it was a big, dumb, stupid movie, but I didn't have to turn my brain off because it didn't even attempt to kind of lull you into that kind of like, oh, well, you know, it's it's good if you don't think about it. Cause it, it didn't give you anything to think about. It knew exactly what it was going to be. <laughs> it's like big, dumb fucking monkey fight. Yes, please go. More I... films that understand their place is needed darren i mean i agree but i feel i'm gonna to have to get my brain to an almost near death state to watch jackass 4 later this year so oh god what's this thing about uh, a restraining order there's a restraining i just looked up some news because i'm sure in the trailer suit all i've seen is that a wrestler from aw is going to be in it but i don't like him so that's fine um i'm chucking him off a cliff uh i don't know i, I remember reading that the, this is why I was asking you because I thought you'd know. The director of the movie has filed a restraining order against Bam Margera. Oh, yeah, <laughs> fantastic. Okay, I'm going to look into that for a moment. But uh, yeah, um, well, the, the good news is for Disney, they have infinite amount of chances to get this remake thing right because they're remaking fucking everything. Pinocchio, Peter Pan. I mean, Hercules probably. Little Mermaid's got cast in. So. A lot of chances there to turn it around, so we'll have to see when they finally hit on the formula that worked, we'll we'll see. And, of course, that will all be here on FeralEntertainment.com. Just to wrap us up, just because I know that I'd have people asking me, uh, Red's Barbecue Sauce, 
fine, if not a little watery. Uh, smoke stop is the premium. If you get the cherry bourbon smoke stop, that is oh, good stuff, but expensive. Uh, Sweet baby rays, fine, but I do prefer bullseye. And HP wood smoke. I mean, if there's nothing else, it'll do. But it's it's not good in cooking. It's only a good dipping sauce. And that's some barbecue ranking for you there to bring some levity <laughs> to this otherwise very angry podcast. Yeah, you can join us next time for more sauce talk. <laughs> <laughs> that's a main thing. That'll become its own spin-off, I think, uh, in the grand scheme of things. I, you know what? With the state that like YouTube is in and what can get popular, the kind the shit I've been watching on YouTube now, I, I would probably watch a fucking sauce ranking show. You know what? I would. I've seen Brett and, eat, Brett and Link eat everything at this point, so why the fuck yeah, not? I get excited. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's episode now. I'm pretty sure I've seen them do a barbecue sauce ranking video, so we're not in completely uncharted waters. Oh, if you get a chance, uh, this is very niche, but it's been a very niche type of podcast. There's a guy. I think it's the YouTube name is Geo Wizard, and his hope, his aim in life, is to walk in a straight line across a country. I have seen him attempt this twice. Last year, he tried to do it in Wales just as COVID was starting up. And he failed basically because his mate has a medical emergency. He tried it again this year. He tried to do Scotland. Like, and um, he's doing it east to west. So as long as he touches some part of the east coast and then to the west coast, he's fine. And it's just, it's so bizarre. But it's so satisfying because I don't know if I like him when he's like on his video. I think he's a bit of a prick. And he keeps failing. <laughs> and it's just worth watching it to just watch him like have these like really specific goals in mind and then just the world just goes, No. <laughs> you, of course you can't do that. Like you, do you intend to watch it? Because otherwise I'll just tell you what happens right in the fuck. I name. mean the question I have is why would you start with an actual country sized country and not start with say San Marino? Right, I, I do think that, like, just go to somewhere, like, go to, like, fucking Tonga, where there's not much there. Go to Tuvalu, that's, like, three miles across its widest <laughs> point. And just, there's just maybe some, like, you know, there's a mountain or something, like, ferns or whatever. But no, he chooses, like, Scotland, so in the preview, he's like, so here's some of the problems. There's a factory, there's several houses that technically the line goes through. Like, he's allowed a bit of, like, leeway either side of the line. I think it's, like, 25 metres either side is, like, what he's aiming for. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I'm basically going to have to walk through this geezer's farm, jump two motorways, get through this train yard. Amazing. And, like, but he's... I'm pretty sure he's either going to die or complete his goal. Because, like, every year he tries. And you're not meant to be in Scotland other than really key reasons. And then he's, like, taking the chance of, like, oh, yeah, we're just going to... It shows you, like, he's filming himself buying a ladder, jumping over a security fence to infiltrate a fucking factory, walking straight the fuck across it with the camera rolling. <laughs> and then, like, he gets on the other side of the security gate and he's like, well, I have to jump this fence now because the line dictates. <laughs> okay, over he goes. And, oh, it's just... And it comes to such a wet fart of an end where <laughs> it's day two. <laughs> he's bragging that, oh, yeah, I've conquered rail lines and I've conquered the M9 and whatever. And he just sets up base, like, a tent in some farmer's property who calls the police and they come over and go what are you doing and he's like um trying to cross scotland in a straight line <laughs> it's like you know covid's happening right he's like yeah he's like you know you're going to be fine right yeah he's like you know you best not be here in the morning right yeah and then he feels like a like a follow-up video that's like yeah ultimately i'm gutted you know i thought we had a chance and then 
the police said we were trespassing. <laughs> <laughs> to you you dumb bastard but uh yeah that's so that's popular on youtube that came up in the algorithm so surely source ranking will be there uh right we do have normal content on these channels as well uh we will at some point be getting round to a review of uh luca and in the heights as well uh, i wonder if we'll have some moy caliente uh takes on those films as well but we shall see in later episodes where will people be able to find these episodes when they do drop Michael? Well, they'll be able to find them on my twitter and instagram at that mike owen as well as on your twitter and instagram at the guttridge they'll be able to find them on twitter instagram and facebook under the username fowley and t that's f-o-u-l-e-n-t as well as on uh, spotify apple Podcasts, and soundcloud under the username fowley and t or fowley and t podcast depending on the service that you're using and of course where all of our stuff lives on fowlentainment.com for more podcasts and more articles. We're also review Loki. That's that's swiftly coming to a close. It's surprising how quickly that's gone. But time flies when you're trying to buy a fucking house. <laughs> yeah, so if we could have a little bit of an interrupted schedule uh, the next few weeks. I mean, we have got Loki and Black Widow coming up, and hopefully we'll be quite time with them. But yeah, you are buying a house, so it's going to be a little influx. Yeah, I have, um, I have uh, essentially done everything on hard mode, haven't I? I've got married during yeah. COVID. I bought a house during COVID. <laughs> Other than like a lung transplant, yeah, you've done everything you really shouldn't be doing during a global <laughs> pandemic, but there we are. Oh, the dark souls of actual life. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, this was the dark Wonderbar. souls of reviewing anyway, because you have to listen to me moan about a Disney remake of all things. So thank you for listening to that. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye.